Namaste, motherfuckers, and welcome to Tantric Conversation, episode number 32, Ren Lanier. Ren Lanier is someone I didn't know at all, other than uh, by reputation. She um, had a little piece written on her recently in style, and uh, a friend of mine on Facebook, Kendra, posted it, and I read it, and I went, oh yeah, I'm down with that TED Talk shit. And uh, by extension, I must be down with that Bill talk shit that she's doing. So I got her to come over so we could talk shit. And we did. And it was fun. <clears throat> and I'm sorry that uh, we f- I got her over here. And after, you know, cold calling her and Facebooking her out of the blue with no introduction by a third party, but she did come over here with an escort and uh, allowed me to get tantric with her, um, <clears throat> conversationally, of course, uh, and where am I going with this, uh, yeah, when I finally got her over here, it turns out that she is moving to Columbus, Ohio, and, uh, we're gonna be losing her, but, um, when she told me that on Facebook, I said, and she mentions it, that I've said it before, leaving Richmond is as much a part of living in Richmond as anything, so... I'm sure she'll be back. Everyone comes back sooner or later. But uh, I I got a I learned a lot from her, and I'm really interested in what's going on there. And I'd like to look more into it. I think they're going to be doing it in her absence. Um, I I'd really like you know I just like getting together with people and hearing uh, people talk about new ideas. That's fun for me. Fascinates me. I've watched a lot of TED Talks, and I watch lots of other things besides TED Talks, like Joseph Campbell talking, and Alan Watts talking, and Philip K. Dick talking, and other people, and I listen listen to people talking, so it's, you know, you probably figured this out that I like talking, and I like, but I actually like listening too, so I got a pretty good balance of that going on. So, before we get into that, um, I mentioned previously, and just in case you didn't catch the last one, I am moving, and I'm moving really kind of suddenly, like I didn't get a chance to get really ready for it, but I gotta get out of where I'm living. My roommate's starting to do a lot of bullshit, passive-aggressive crap. Today I was leaving for work, and I went to back out of the goddamn driveway, and he blocked it with the recycling containers, so as to let me know that he wanted me to put them back. Like, I'm not enough of a fucking adult put them back myself after I put them out there in the first place. If I'm an adult enough to recycle, I'm an adult enough to put the goddamn shit back, right? But uh, he felt like he needed to fucking throw his weight around or something. And this is all just, you know, it's just kind of happened in the last month out of the blue. And um, I, uh, the guy that was going pretty good up until then. And now it's like, excuse me for living. He has a problem with me, and I'm such a good roommate. I pay my bills on time. I clean up after myself. I recycle. It's awesome. You, you couldn't get a better roommate than me these days. His loss. Anyway, I found a house in Churchill, and um, I got to get into it fast. And I could use a little help. So if you guys want to help me, uh, you know, go to my page, tantricconversation.com, and drop a coin into the slot. Um, you can make a donation and the donate button via paypal you know use your credit card to pay me through paypal and uh, i would really appreciate it um because yeah you know moving always sucks but moving when you're not really ready to move 
sucks a little bit more. So, hey, um, don't make me pull that, like, mustache shit on you. I am growing a mustache for Movember. And uh, I look really sleazy and, and creepy with it right now. I was just looking at myself in the mirror, and I'm not sure I like what I see. So I'm going to keep it up because it's fun. Um, mustache farming. I got a pretty good handlebar one going last year, but I only had the guts to wear it out in public, like, for 24 hours, and then I got rid of it. But I'm, I'm going all the way this time. I'm going to let it go past. I might let it go past Movember. But, uh... Hey, you can encourage me like that, too. Whatever reason you can come up with to give me a little money to support this podcast, this quality entertainment, I hear a lot of you like it. You know, I get good feedback about it. So, you know, throw me a little money. Just $20, you know, $40, $50, $100, whatever. I'll make it worth your while. So, uh, at one point, Rand and I, we, we mentioned that thing in Shaco Bottom, and uh, I wish you could have seen our mutual eye roll faces when we talked about this stadium coming to Shaco Bottom. It's just so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous that this the city leaders still haven't figured out that the best way for Richmond, Richmonders and Richmond to thrive is just to get out of the way and let people build a community. They keep fucking with it and tampering with it just all it does is piss people off waste money and and embarrass everyone every time i look at that main street station sign and you know i was really i will say quickly i was really into that when that happened i went down there i volunteered to go down and clean up the construction dust with a whole bunch of people the night before main street station was supposed to open i walked down there from churchill with some of my friends and we went in there and i remember on my hands and knees with a rag cleaning construction dust off of a staircase. So it's not like I don't support this stuff. You know, I was excited about 6th Street Marketplace. I did this little gig back then where I walked around and closed from a couple of the stores in there with some friends of mine from high school. And, uh, you know, was a big, you know, co- contributed and supported and went there and shopped. I've done all this stuff. And I've always, you know, patronized things within the city because I'm a city boy, I'm a city kid. But um, I just don't understand how we just keep, the city government just keeps thinking the same way about it. It just, it's really perplexing to me. But like I said to Ren, like, we got to still keep doing what it is we want to do. We got to build the city we want. We can't just fall to our knees and, and rend at our clothing and our hair over this. Um, it's going to happen. There's no stopping it. So let's just build something that's way more awesome than that together, people. All right? Come on, people. Come on, people now. Smile on your brother, etc. And without further ado, let's get into Mrs. or Ms. Ren Lanier. This weekend, uh, I think that I think it, it ends up being a sort of common topic at Bill because sort of a lot of people who who think about you know ideas are easy, making things is hard. Like an idea for a podcast is really easy, and yeah. then actually doing it week after week, day after day, you know, and then editing it and uploading it uh, seems like it. I get the impression that it's a little bit of a grind, kind of like a blog. It depends on <laughs> how much you edit it, and we're going. Yeah. This, um, and Ren Lanier is here. Is that how you say your last name? Lanier. Lanier. Mm-hmm. I don't edit mine at all. <laughs> and like, I mean, I I have a few different times like kind of gone in there and tinkered with them. But the idea is like so much 
art becomes this different or, or everything becomes this different product as you are constructing it for an audience. Right. So I'm this ex- whole experiment, since there's no overhead involved except stuff I already had, um, let it be whatever happens. <laughs> You're not you know? framing the narrative in any way. That's right. Cool. Uh, you know, a little, but <laughs> mainly I, I hate editing. Yeah. It sounds you know? very tedious. It is. <laughs> any kind of editing, writing, editing, whatever. So like, I'm, I'm just a big fan of the, the jam, you yeah. know, and you have to, if you're into indulging that stuff, then it, I'm, it works out. I am. So what it, the bill stuff is, what does that stand for? Bill? Um, we called it bill because it's. The compliment to Ted, mm-hmm. capital T. Oh, Bill T- and Ted. Yeah, Bill and Ted's uh, Excellent Adventures, uh, because we are children of the 80s, right, and we right. like our cultural references like uh-huh. that. Um, I think, actually, there is sort of an official bill that's just B-I-L, all capitals, that they, they do out in California or whatever, mm-hmm. but we didn't know that existed when right. we started, so... That automatically makes it a hundred times cooler <laughs> without ever having heard anything that it's... <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what is the goal to get people to be excellent to each other? Uh, no, you know, I mean, I guess the, the tagline for TED Talks and, you know, I think I think we're all a little bit oversaturated on TED mm-hmm. as a brand. Um, what is it? Technology, entertainment and design? You know, Something that, like that? sounds that sounds good. I, I think don't it know. is. I think it is an acronym. Yeah. What do you think? And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, um, you might be education. It actually. could, it could be, but mm-hmm. so, uh, so yeah, I think we're we're all maybe a little bit oversaturated with the Ted brand. Um, mm-hmm. I've seen people refer to to Ted's brand maybe as having a certain smugness mm-hmm. about it, and mm-hmm. um, I I don't think that's wrong. Um, so their tagline is you know ideas that that can change the world. Right. Um, and so when they announced the first TEDx RVA last year, um, and just sort of kind of having a sense of what that was going to look like even before it fully came into it to existence uh my collaborator sam davies sort of snarking on twitter like we should make a conference about how ideas are easy and making things is hard yeah and i was like that's great let's do that mm-hmm. um you know so he uh we started in the one e space uh down at the times dispatch building he had access to that space we could use it for free um, and yeah, he called me up one day and was like, I want to do a thing. I want to have a conference here. And I was like, let's do that thing you said about how ideas are easy and making things is hard. Mm-hmm. Um, so we run it as an unconference. So we don't really curate speakers. Mm-hmm. Um, anybody who comes can speak. Uh, you know, we time limits the number of slots we have, but we're trying to be more open, more egalitarian, um, and to sort of give people who are doing something cool or who have something to say a platform yeah, um, to kind of be discovered that they might otherwise, you know, they wouldn't otherwise come to the attention of larger media outlets, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, more important people in this. Or area. even just any outlet in this town. Yeah. Like, because there's a weird thing. I mean, I, I feel like there's so much going on here and people are sort of locked into a mentality because the media in this town was like all controlled from outside of this town with the exception of like the times dispatch there's all this clear channel here and all of these other things yeah. and they have a specific agenda to sell stuff and yeah i mean and and, and yeah they're all trying to they're all trying to sell advertising but i think right. that and and i mean and i i can be guilty of this too just um 
you know, of having a conference is that it's easy to reach out to the people you know, like your friends or your friends of friends or the people you're reading about in like whatever you happen to read. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and it just becomes much harder to sort of widen that. I think that's mm-hmm. a challenge for all of us. So just to cry, try and explicitly create this place. Right, because you could be stu- you're just listening to the people you agree with. Right. Already. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so we, you know, and it, it ends up being sort of like a lot of our friends, but mm-hmm. then, you know, through publicizing it online or, you know, Style Weekly wrote about us earlier this year, we end up having these wonderful random people show up. Mm-hmm. And we're like, how did you hear about us? And those are the best people. Yeah. Um, because those people bring a perspective that's wholly different from like what my friends and I have. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it seems um, that a lot of the reason that advertising had to be sold before is because it was so expensive to create any passage of ideas. Like yeah. whether it was a newspaper, you had to have all these giant machines that printed this thing and you had to have all of these people typing and typesetting and paper like, costs and, and tr- gas, yeah. like getting it around <laughs> and paper boys and all this stuff. And now really you could take an idea from idea to inception and put it through the digital medium. And it's, it's very instantaneous, yeah. you know? Yeah. So we don't really need to support it with a whole bunch of money. No. You know? And and we have not, um, we don't take any sponsorship money mm-hmm. for, for Bill. We haven't made any money on it. We basically, we charge to just kind of cover our costs and our costs are bagels and coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, I think part of what, part of what really upset me, I'm just going to say this, part of what really upset me about TEDxRVA was the $100 ticket price. Oh, yeah. And the fact that you had to, you had to fill out an application for a ticket. And I think that $100 plus a day not at your job is pretty prohibitive for For a lot of people. For a lot of people. Basically for everybody who's not like a white collar, you know, Caucasian, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, knowledge worker mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and so and and just by dint of of the cost and the way it was set up those were the only those were the only people who were going to be able to be in right. the room um did they actually see i i just became aware that this was going on here when i saw the thing that kendra posted about you yeah and then i happened to be downtown and saw the coalition theater was like they were showing comedy ted talks like yeah. that, that were just basically the netflix yeah. Stuff. So was that what other people were doing? Were they actually having speakers like live? Uh, last March and then this coming March. I mean, they they did a big e- they did a big event. It was mm-hmm. like in person. It was all day long. Um, it was held at the power plant on the canal. Mm-hmm. There was no heat. Uh, that place has no running water, so they had to bring in porta potties. Mm. Um, I mean, if I tried to hold a conference like that in a place where there was no heat and no bathrooms, nobody would show up. Right. But if you put the TED brand on it right right <laughs> um, people people come out but but again you know i think sam and i just wanted to do something you know like to, we see the costs like the barriers to this as being really low mm-hmm. i mean bagels and a room with heat and bathrooms um yeah. <laughs> like that's, yeah that's all it takes you know and so we sure you know we we spend a little money out of pocket to make it happen but it's not like we're we don't have a lot of money to throw around it just doesn't mm-hmm. take that much no um and and so that's that's exciting for us to just sort of just to show how you know sort of how low the barrier to entry to something like this yeah. can be and i mean that it, it's understandable like anything intellectual comes with um something that is repellent to people who aren't just comfortable in that yeah. way of like exchanging ideas. There's something about it that not only seems smug, but like 
egotistical. Yeah. Like, oh, you're actually telling your opinion to a bunch <laughs> of people? Who do you think you yeah. are? It, and it creates this sense in which I think it becomes sort of self-congratulatory that one right. either gets to speak or be there. You know, mm-hmm. like uh, I've been chosen, I get mm-hmm. to go to, you know, and I think that the the main TED event, which my understanding is it costs like five figures to go to the main TED event out in California. Right, but I get to watch it on Netflix yeah, like or, or YouTube free. for free. For free. Right. So, so yeah, I mean, I think we wanted to do something that was, that was radically the opposite of that, which mm-hmm. was not only can anybody talk, but that anybody can talk and we think that's great and we value what you're going to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and... And for the most part, you know, I'm always pretty happy. Like, yeah, people are signing up. People are talking. And um, we had this one guy at our second event who who did not really seem completely in his head mm-hmm. <laughs> that little, morning. cuckoo. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh-huh. geez, yeah, there was just just seemed a little, I don't know, distraught or whatever. And that was sort of the moment where the rubber met the road for mm-hmm. me. I was like, I, you know, I talk a really good game. Like anybody can come to Bill conference and talk, but I was like, I don't think we should let this guy talk. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Sam, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I'm, I don't feel good about this. I don't feel good about this. Um, and Sam went and talked to him and he was like, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. And when he got up to talk, it's maybe been one of the best Bill conference talks ever, you know? So it's like, even, even I have these moments of doubt and then like I lose, I lose faith in the vision too, but the vision is bigger than I am. Mm-hmm. And he, he, stood up and said amazing things that inspire me to this day. That's really interesting. I, I have a tendency to uh, compare this, and part of what made me interested in TED Talks and lots of other things, I listen to a lot of podcasts myself, and um, is that I got involved in, in uh, a 12-step program. And 12-step programs are always listening mm-hmm. you you get to talk and then you know the ones that i like there's like t- maybe you know 20 other people or 10 other people in the room everybody gets a turn to talk you mm-hmm. shut the hell up and you listen to them you don't have to like what they're saying mm-hmm. but there's this sort of hallowed space of like everybody whatever is being said here needs to be said here it is yeah. you know and you always hear something Mm-hmm. especially from that person you're like oh oh here comes that guy that can't put one day together <laughs> yeah. and he's going to start with his shit again and and I'm like I don't know if I can sit through this and yep. then I do and I hear something you know and I think to me like that's been a real for exploding myths in like my own head about what other people are and what you know I am and what society is and my relationship to it and all that other stuff and I think in general, the more that we just talk and people listen and talk and don't have to answer what somebody's saying, that that really breaks down the ways that we are controlled. And and we are more controlled by the, you know, by commerce than we are the government. The government's controlled by commerce. Oh, yeah. Marketing, you know, marketing and our consumer impulses. And yeah, absolutely. And and it's funny, you know, Sam and I have had this, you know, to to the extent that we try and and set a vision or a strategy you know sometimes sometimes we've had this discussion like should we have like bill breakout groups that are about holding each other accountable mm-hmm. for like following up on our creative projects and you know sam will say something like i don't want this to become like like aa for creatives mm-hmm. um so so we've sort of shied away from that explicit accountability piece of mm-hmm. it but somebody actually said at our event this last saturday this is like aa for creatives because yeah. it really kind of is and and we we want to make it a space where you can stand up and talk about this thing that you were really excited about mm-hmm. and then utterly failed at yeah um you know that it's you know because we think that's valuable and inspirational too like we often feel whether it's ted talks or whatever else inspirational talks are like so i had this idea and so then i worked on it for a little while and then wow and then suddenly i was on oprah and mm-hmm. we're like no, no no let's talk about that 
and then I worked right. on it for a while. Right. Like, like what? Like everybody just sort of glosses over the time they spend working and failing and wanting to give up mm-hmm. and questioning themselves and mm-hmm. fighting with their own demons. And for us, that's the really interesting part, not the, and then I got There's to There's so much Oprah. more of that. And yeah. that is also, even yeah. if you're not a creative, <laughs> yeah. okay, the, the act of living life is yeah. all about that I mean, shit. We, we, have a really, we have a really broad definition of creativity, man. Right. Your life is a thing that you create. Right. You know, parenting, like raising children is, that is, that well, is yeah, a I mean, I think they're parallel thing. things. Like there's biological creativity, which you don't have a whole lot of say over who, like, your genes go into this right. being, you know? So everybody, a lot of people have an urge to, to recreate like physically that yeah. thing, but that is, is like this long line of chromosomes and, and traits and all this kind of stuff. And the desire to make whatever art is right or make a painting or whatever, I think is a similar type of a desire, but to leave this behind, you know, right. like the mind or the being or whatever Yeah. that to be that your progeny of your uh of yourself yeah you know i mean we've had uh we had brian hooten um who's part of the no bs brass band Mm -hmm. come on and talk about his yoga practice and his running practice um and essentially essentially how uh he got into that sort of as a way of dealing with his own depression Mm -hmm. and i mean and and that was you know again amazing and i mean what what is that creating creating mental health Mm -hmm. you know creating a daily practice of mindfulness awesome we want to talk about that yeah and most art really is a type also a type of uh a sharing experience strength and hope to use some slogans yeah. you know because like if i read a great book by jonathan franz and i'm getting stuff out of it even with the comic weird tragic stuff <laughs> i'm getting stuff out of it that makes me say oh you know my my trip is not that unique you right. know and i can choose to look at it in this certain kind of way i can get a little perspective on it and get objective about it you know yeah I mean, art is there for, you know, sensual reasons. It's there for pleasurable reasons. It's there for intellectual reasons. And it's also there, I think, as mythology, you know. And mythology is a way that we, like kind of order all of this stuff that could otherwise be pretty fucking random. I think one of of the other things that that, uh, really irked me about TEDxRVA, which was centered around the theme of creativity, Mm -hmm. was that there was... Um, every every single bio of the headlining speakers mentioned the big brands that they had worked with. Mm-hmm. You know, she's been a VP of Coca-Cola or he's mm-hmm. worked with companies like General Electric. Right. And and it was just so it was so brand and marketing and advertising heavy and so heavy on consumerism. Like, man, like like creativity is only valuable if you do it for Nike. Right. And that's bullshit. Right. Only if it plays <laughs> to a really big fucking audience. Yeah. You know, yeah. and so and like I, I feel, you know, maybe because Richmond is a little bit of an advertising town. Mm-hmm. I feel like there is too much of a conflation um, of creativity with marketing, branding, advertising. Sure. And and I I want to try and move against that or subvert that as much as possible. Well, let's also recognize what the value of branding and advertising is, especially the way that advertising has gone to branding now, is that it's identified the fact that you can't fucking lie to people all the time <laughs> yeah. and tell them your shit is something that it isn't. Right. Because they're going to find out. And instead of getting putting more and more money into just shouting louder the lie, start living some truth. Right. You know? So this, like, m- what I see branding is now is like, hey, newsflash, you've got to walk it like you talk it. Yeah. And the more that you live uh, uh, um, mindfully in your business, you yeah. operate mindfully, not mi- just mindfully of the environment, but mindful of the resources, the human resources that are around you, the impact that you have on other businesses, all that kind of stuff. You create a, a hum and a buzz for yourself, a resonance 
for yourself, a place for yourself in a thing that people are drawn to. It's attraction, not promotion. It's a little more 12 step stuff, (laughs) you know? And like, I think that's an awesome, like, you know, kind of byproduct. And I, and it's interesting that it's, you know, the most powerful force in our country, which is the desire to sell something and to succeed is being, is really actually being repurposed into something to create integrity, you know? I like to see, I like it when it happens. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and the the idea of success that you're talking about too. That I mean, pe- advertising is a big thing because it seems like you can win the lottery with it. <laughs> yeah. You know, and you can make a shitload out of of no- something of for nothing. Really, like yeah. you just you put the right four words together and you're a millionaire right. or something. You know, right. it's like Powerball. <laughs> and yet there there's this other you know there are people that want to know my. My girlfriend is a gluten-free baker, right? Mm-hmm. And they're people who want gluten-free stuff. Yeah. And you have to communicate yeah. that stuff. And that stuff has to exist, you know? Yeah. I mean, so much of this functions on a, you know, I mean, there's, you know, marketing, which is like, I have this thing. I have gluten-free products. Mm-hmm. If you are gluten-free, buy my products. And, and you're just sort of explaining the need that you're meeting to the people who might have that need. Whereas advertising, you know, I feel gets really into that realm of, trying to create in people an insecurity and a desire for something they didn't Mm -hmm. need beforehand. Mm -hmm. You know, like, oh, I didn't realize my face was ugly, but now that I've seen your ad, I realize Mm -hmm. that I need your splotch cream. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know? And and that that makes me uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Well, it should. And I mean, it's this has been, I mean, it's this communication revolution that is that has made that apparent to a lot of people that that's what's going on that we can actually step out of this and question it and and these guys were intentionally doing this a long time ago they said we know how to make the best possible washing machine right now we have to make the best possible washing machine customer right even you know and i don't think these guys set out with some arch desire (laughs) to manipulate and and you know control other people they just wanted you know to make a lot of money right but (laughs) the byproduct has been this extremely focused um, you know, sort of brainwashing. Yeah. I mean, we are, we are a consumer culture. It is, you know, consumer spending is what powers our economy. Mm -hmm. Um, so just, just certainly trying to, to reconcile the economic realities with the everyday realities of seeing ads everywhere Mm -hmm. in the digital space and the physical space. Um, and, you know, just being self-aware about my own, you know, consumer impulses, uh, for sure. But just, you know, also recognizing, you know, outside of the you know watching commercials on TV recognizing those sort of those things around us that are just treating us like consumers mm-hmm. or trying to make us feel insecure and you know whether that's a TED talk that's just sort of subtly playing to your insecurity or feeling like you lack knowledge about a particular topic or something um, that really seeking out that that media that seeks to empower people mm-hmm. rather than feed our own insecurities. Mm-hmm. My two favorite TED Talks have been with Brian Cox, you know, the rock star mm-hmm. physicist talking about the Large Hadron Collider and yeah. the, the search for the Higgs boson particle and like breaking all that stuff down. I mean, that fills me with wonder. It's fascinating. And then w- there was an Indian guy who was talking about open source technology he was creating to remove the need for a monitor, mm-hmm. remove the need for static sc- for screens, you know, that you could sort of... T- you know, put this stuff out in the three-dimensional world. <laughs> and what was driving him, this altruism that yeah. was driving his invention, I think it was, like, really fascinating and really inspiring to me. And, I mean, that's generally what I get from the TED stuff, is I see that these are good-hearted, earnest 
people yeah. <laughs> who are like, you know, really trying to put something positive out there. Because we can rail against all the shit that's fucked up all the time. Yeah. But that energy never does anything, but, you know, make you kind of yeah. I, I love that you watch these inspiring TED Talks. And I think the last one, the last one <laughs> I saw was... Uh, was this guy at, at TEDx Edinburgh who's uh, basically a professional thief, pickpocket, mm. theft, like who was doing this amazing stuff just talking about our attention and how easy right. it is to divert somebody's attention and, you know, slip their watch or mm-hmm. slip their wallet or their phone or whatever. Um, and he was very engaging, but maybe not, not, altruistic and inspiring in the same way. Right. And those are the ones I pick, you know, yeah. I picked the lady who had the stroke, who's also a neurologist. You right. Know, and yeah. All, that was actually the first one I ever saw. And I mean, but then again, there's, if I'm, that's still more of me, like wanting to be in this one, you know, listen to one kind of person and I could miss out on something valuable for listening to that pickpocket. Right. You know, that, you know, I got to pay attention. And, you know. <laughs> So what what were you doing b- before you got this going, or what are you doing concurrently while you're doing that? Or um, well, you know, it's it's interesting. It's I think what's interesting about what it led to was that um, in September, a couple of months ago now, uh, John Survey, um, who's been in Richmond a long time, uh, used to write the Buttermilk and Molasses blog, mm-hmm. now runs the consulting company Floricane. Um, John invited me to help him uh, organize another TEDx event here in Richmond, um, not TEDx RVA. We, we had to come up with a name for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was specifically on this day when they did the, uh, there were a bunch of TED events in cities all over the world, TED city 2.0. So it was, it was specifically around local urban community mm-hmm. topics. Um, so I wanted to call it TEDx gray street. Um, and you know, I think gray street is emblematic of, of a lot of things that are new and exciting about Richmond and also some things that are the legacy. And are we were speaking specifically of like from Harrison to Laurel. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, you know, or even, even down into East Grace, you know, um, further down, um, towards like downtown where yeah, pasture you know, is and we're right. Center stage. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so, em, you know, emblematic of exciting things that are happening, um, but also emblematic of how side by side with that renewal, there's also that urban decay, mm-hmm. you know, and abandoned storefronts, um, mm-hmm. the the legacy of the ghosts, the ghosts of white flight um, mm-hmm. and the abandonment of our urban core mm-hmm. are still very much visible on Gray Street. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's really easy for people in Richmond to talk about how much things have changed. Like I've been here 15 years now. Yeah. I mean, so I've, you didn't grow up here. I didn't grow up here, but I've been here 15 years and, and it is, it's really different than when I first arrived here. Did you get to see when we had Tallhammers and Miller and Rhodes and all that stuff down there? Um, no, but I saw their shells when they still had racks of clothing just sitting there yeah. year after year, you know, I kind of, I was kind of into that sort of ruin porn sort of thing, but, um, <laughs> but you know, so, so John and I got to do TEDx Gray Street and we put it, you know, we designed it, um, you know, specifically around Richmond topics mm-hmm. and, and got this really amazing group of speakers, um, you know, from the Valentine, from the civil war, uh, history center, mm-hmm. um, just, you know, from VCU, uh, from um, you know different people working in the the urban planning space and and the poverty you know we had uh, Damon Jiggetts from the Peter Paul Center up in Churchill like like working with at use at risk youth to improve their educational opportunities 
Um, and it really was like half a day of let's talk about poverty and segregation mm-hmm. in Richmond. Um, and it was also really inspiring and uplifting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I mean, I think, I think, you know, our goal for the day was we're going to talk about the things that people in Richmond don't like to talk about. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was sort of a proof of concept that we can talk about these things and still love Richmond when we walk away. Right. You know, that we don't, we don't need to just shove it all under the rug and, you know, we can talk about the fact that there were 14 slave auction houses in Chaco yeah. Bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we so can... <laughs> I don't know. And we can, you know, we, we, can, we can confront that and we can confront how, you know, racist insurance policies in the 1930s led our neighborhoods to be segregated and mm-hmm. led to lines of segregation that continue today. Mm-hmm. Um, and that... And that it's only—I think that it's only by talking about those things and acknowledging them o- openly that we can really create those those lines of dialogue and mm-hmm. communication that's really going to lead to a stronger city. I agree with you 100. percent I, I, I use the word now, and I, I didn't like the word when I first heard it, but it's reconciling. Okay? Yeah. We cannot escape this. Yeah. And if we, you know, if we resist it, it persists. If we try to say it didn't happen, or we try to say, right. no, you know, black people were really happier as slaves, or ridiculous shit like that. Yeah. You know, that, that doesn't get anybody anywhere. You but know? if we say, look, this shit happened. Yeah. And the things that we love about, and I, I am a native, like I grew up on Grace Street in Church Hill, you mm-hmm. know, like I went to St. Peter's Church on Gray Street downtown. My mom worked at Tallheimer's. Like, I went to Richmond Public Schools. I'm a product of Richmond Public Schools. And yeah. I love all this stuff. And yet, you know, there's always this attendant shame yeah. with it, you know, because I look like the bad guy from the past, you know. And so what do we do? We have to, we have to reconcile this fact with our present and our future. Right. And we just got to embrace it. We got to yeah. fold it into the narrative. You got to live with it. Absolutely. And, you know, Absolutely. And I feel like a lot of like with different events, whether it's it's TEDx RVA or whether it's something else, um, you know, I feel like the, the last few years that that I'd been lobbying a lot of criticism at these events because I felt like they weren't talking about poverty. They weren't talking about the east end of the city. And, mm-hmm. you know, and they weren't talking about just the growing inequality between, say, the people in the fan or the people in Windsor Farms versus mm-hmm. the people in Fulton. You know, mm-hmm, and just mm-hmm. just there is this divide that is opening up in our city, yeah. and we all kind of see it, but yet we're not really acknowledging it or talking about it or trying to figure out like like what what that's going to do to our city, um, and and so just criticizing these events for not for not focusing on that and kind of reeling, realizing that for some for some of those events that's a fault, and for some of those events that's not really what they're about, right? But that that the fact that when we're not having a conversation about poverty in Richmond, every conversation we're having becomes another conversation we're not having about poverty. Right. So, you know, there was the mayor down in Chaco announcing the stadium plan today, which, yeah, you know, I'm rolling my eyes at that too. Right. And then all over social media. Everyone were rolling our eyes. Right. And all over my <laughs> all over my social media, you know, I'm seeing concerned friends of mine who are like, why are we not talking about public schools? Mm. Why are we not talking about poverty? It's like, well, you know, this is the mayor talking about his sports thing. But it's just I feel like if we were having a real honest, uh, you know, energetic conversation around those topics, that would create more space for the. Yeah, but see, the thing is, people like the mayor and guys (laughs) like him who've been around in this town as a while as politicians. They like 
having their electorate be as fucking ignorant as they are yeah. and uneducated and they're happy to starve those schools but then talk about how they're going to help them because they go into the churches and they manipulate those people yeah and they wouldn't have jobs if they didn't do that so you know? so yeah that's right I, mean, I said it yeah <laughs> i mean i and i'm not i'm not disagreeing i mean you know i, I want to see the mayor and Jim Ucrop and I mean I want to see some of our civic leaders stand up and say you know let's declare a war on poverty you mm-hmm. know let's do that here in Richmond um, and so so yeah I just I was like this is the conversation I feel like we need to be having and if somebody's going to give me a microphone and a chance to to choose some speakers and you know, charge a ticket, ticket, ticket price, and use the TED brand mm-hmm. to, to you know, put some asses in seats. Right. Then this is a conversation we're gonna have. So, uh, am I hearing that you're saying that what you decided was instead of hating on the things that weren't happening elsewhere, you're like, I'm gonna do my the, put the thing together that yeah. I think should be there. Yeah. Right. And and okay. Yeah, that's that's essentially, and that's kind of what I said in in my style weekly profile. It's you, you spend a, I spend a lot of time, you know throwing spitballs at stuff other people were doing and but eventually you get to a point where as as that as that vision for what you want things to be begins to crystallize you realize you know i realized that then i just had to make that thing right you know that that if these other people weren't going to have these conversations weren't going to make space for this in the community then it was my job to make that space yeah and what a revelation you know, because for some reason, the counterculture of our country and in this town and lots of other places where you have overeducated, underemployed, mm-hmm. you know, liberal kids, we all just want to rail against all the injustices, you yeah. know, instead of like, hey, how about you get a shovel or a <laughs> hammer and a nail and start building something that represents what you believe in yeah. and get together with some other people and build that so that can counterbalance, <laughs> you know, perhaps eclipse that other thing. Yeah. You know? I, and, and, you know, as somebody who's also just, you know, I've gotten involved with, you know, lots of different you know, groups and organizations and stuff here in Richmond the last few years. And and I came to this realization a few weeks ago that, you know, as somebody who spent years raging against the machine, I think I finally realized that the machine is often very tired Mm -hmm. and overworked and would love it Mm -hmm. if you just offered to help, (laughs) you know, and that a lot of those, a lot of those really high walls, you know, that, that I just sort of felt like I was banging on, like, you're not listening to me. Like I really just had to find the door at the bottom and knock on it and say, Mm -hmm. Hey, do you need somebody else on your committee? Yeah. And, Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that that that's an okay way to affect change too. Absolutely. And, and you know, and if there isn't a door, infiltrate. Yeah, yeah, you can infiltrate. But if there if there isn't a door, or or if just you know the very institution that you're looking for doesn't exist, then it's your job to go out and make that. Right. Thing. That's yeah. creative. Yeah. It's create instead <laughs> of destroy. Yeah. You know, and th- I mean, for some reason, that is now I think a kind of becoming a revelation because you don't need a lot of capital to create something. No. And and I was kind of hating on what we've what what it seems like the exponential growth of our innovation and technology has all just been digital, and mm-hmm. it's all been about communication. But that is what we do. That's yeah. what humans are really good at. And the more that we communicate and the more that we link our minds, the bigger the ideas and the bigger the things that can happen. Absolutely. And we are still transforming our culture, you know, and our culture is our greatest evolutionary advantage over all of the other biological beings yeah. on this planet. We're not the strongest. <laughs> we're not the fastest. We're the smartest and the most organized, you know. Yeah. And the and this, so we've put all of this energy into linking ourselves even better. So, yeah. you know. And, and it's incredibly powerful, but, and, you know, I say this as somebody who works on a computer every day. I'm sitting here with my phone in my lap. You know, I 
I build the internet. That's my job. But I think we're that is you work in yeah I work I work Uh in IT and and web design and development. Um, and you know I'm very passionate about that. Do you have a business of your own? You work for somebody else. Um, I have a business of my own, though I'm about to take a new job um, here in a couple of weeks. But I I think we're really beginning to explore what it means to be connected. Mm -hmm. And and you know there's there is this one sense in which having that phone on your person all the time and the ability to send the text message makes us connected. And yet there's also that sense in which staring at our screens, I think we're coming to realize makes us feel disconnected Mm -hmm. from people. And that, and that I think more and more of us are realizing we have to create time in our lives where we put the screen away Mm -hmm. and really like engage in that face to face connection. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and I think that, I think that's going to be a challenge that, that all of us humans, (laughs) almost everybody on the planet, I mean, they have smartphones, they have phones and smartphones in the third world. I mean, Mm -hmm. this is all of us on the planet are going to have to engage with this idea of connection and and what we want that to be right. for ourselves. Well, we have to have healthy boundaries. Yeah, yeah, our and, and 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 you know what? The, it's an intimate thing. Well, and, like <laughs> and and you have to set those healthy boundaries for yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, the government isn't going to set them for you. They're just going to no. keep listening to end whatever you right. say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and just recording it, right? And and like, you know, the fact that you're doing these as real time things, getting people into physical space and getting people around each other to interact, you know, that has to be a balance. I mean, one of the guys that supports this thing said, look, man, I'm, I'm, I want you to be doing what you want to do, but I also want you to get out of, off the internet and go visit places and be around people and all of that. And I've really tried to make it a a balanced thing of like, you know, I talked to one person here and I don't do this on the phone and I don't, Whatever. Yeah. But then go show up at the stuff that's going on in this town. Yeah. And and, yeah. and that for me is, you know, I've, I mean, I've been working in the, you know, in the Internet space for like 15 years now. And and online communities, you know, that's been that's kind of been a passion of mine for a long time mm-hmm. and, and still is. But I mean, I think it's been a, a bit of a revelation to me the last couple of years to realize that, you know, I you know I've sort of started in real life and then kind of went to the Internet and then just sort of almost felt like I reached the bounds of what digital communities could be and offer. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think with Bill Conference, uh, sometimes we sort of think of it as like the church of secular humanism. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, which we have religious people who come and we have non-religious people who come, but there, all of us, I think we, we live in our little houses and we commute to work and we lack those human connections that sort of that, that old idea of the village mm-hmm. provided for mm-hmm. us. Um, and I feel like like Bill Conference sort of just it really creates this community kind of space mm-hmm. to be with people in person to talk about things you all care about. Right. And it's I think that's what why people like it. It's mm-hmm. it makes them feel good. Well, we were w- way more isolated before the Internet, really, because what we we were having a one way experience with a manipulated screen. Oh, yeah. In our houses. TV. Yeah. Okay, watch the Cosby Show. That's everybody, right? Or watch All in the Family, even even the reali- reality of Norman Lear. Right. You know, this stuff. We people were living in their houses, going, "Okay, this is a reflection of my family and the other families out there," and it's fucking pop- propaganda. Yeah. You know, and now we're getting a chaotic message that we have to sift through. You know, and, but it's you know it is more real. There's more reality coming through that. I uh, definitely. You know, Definitely. And, and to have the ability to really, I mean, everything's so fragmented. You have the ability to seek out, you right. know, to sort of seek out the reality that you want to watch or mm-hmm. see or consume. Mm-hmm. 
but you have to embrace the chaos too. And there's a practice yeah. to that, <laughs> you know, or just, you know, like every time that somebody is spouting off some conservative stuff that I don't agree with, you know, a friend of mine on Facebook railing against Obama or Obamacare, instead of me unfriending him, I just have to take a deep breath <laughs> and consider his right. uh, wrong ideas. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you know? But like, you know, like these, these really good classic kind of statesmen that were able to disagree in a civil way you yeah. know we have to be able to do that otherwise you know we're not going to benefit from all of this stuff if we both agree then one of us is superfluous i, l- I love that idea of the uh of the sort of the gentleman statesman disagreeing i'm i'm not sure i believe that it was ever truly the reality yeah, the way we like really. to think it was <laughs> well the way that they do in parliament in england seems like i mean it's gentlemanly in that they can be as rude yeah. to each other and it doesn't you know it doesn't come to a duel like they yeah. don't go out on the street now and stab <laughs> each other or, or shoot each other they, you know they get it out like in this somewhat controlled thing and that's you know this stuff is high passion stuff you know and we tend to get yeah. really personal about it and, and why like what am i defending you know? you know i'm i'm starting i'm starting to play with this theory this theory in my mind um you know first first that i feel like our two-party system is the root of many of our evils this Mm -hmm. this forced binary Mm -hmm. between two points of view when i think really it's much more complex than that sure um and also feeling like there is this sense you know very much the media but but even our our hyper interconnectedness via the internet is somehow somehow accelerating the toxicity of that two-party binary Mm -hmm. you know Mm um but just you know that it becomes it becomes easy for a Fox News or an MSNBC or or whatever to just sort of to carve out that fifty percent and cater only to them and and just you know whereas you know the the twenty percent that are fiscally conservative but socially liberal mm-hmm. <laughs> aren't really getting their viewpoint represented in the mass media because they don't fit into one of those neat mm-hmm. little boxes. Well, I agree with you, but I think that the end game of that winds up being, and, and I use myself as an example because I don't think I'm that unique. You know, I, I might be in some kind of a minority, but I don't think I'm that unique. And I think we all reach because we it has been accelerated to this degree and it's so transparent yeah. what's going on that what the republicans do they're not for any of this shit either they're not for this social stuff mm-hmm. they know they can get votes from people that they're going to fuck later by making them believe they're for these right, things so it's right. just a marketing strategy right. i mean what was it and, carl rove called the christian right like the good sheep you know like mm-hmm. the evangelical christians and just i mean that's I mean, you can't really get more crass or cynical than that. All those guys care about is laissez-faire business. That is all they care about. That is why they're under the umbrella they are. But but the average person is not going to support that unless they wrap it up in all of this old-school American jingoism and and, uh, we're going to protect you from the immigrants and we're going to protect you from homosexuals and, and abortion and all of these other things that they know that they can get people excited about. So... This gets more and more transparent. Right. And, even, and, and then the knee-jerk liberal shit gets more and more transparent. And then people reach a point where they go, I'm not listening to any of this stuff. I'm talking to a person right. like myself. And I'm going to communicate with them. And we start ignoring those people. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But just the the, the hyper-partisanship is just mm-hmm. it's really and, – and I'm certainly guilty of it too. But I think that it's just starting – 
it wears on me in the sense that it it divides us and it divides us up into those into those neat little categories that the media can then sell to right. or that politicians it's can It's a demographic. Right. So it <laughs> divides us up, you know, that politicians can manipulate mm-hmm. um, and turns us against one another when really we have more in common than we have differences mm-hmm. and that that essentially these these powers are dividing us you know in order to to maintain their own power right you know like like right. as long as we're fighting as long as those of us who you know are the 99 percent are fighting with one another we're not we're not really focused on on who's manipulating us mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i think i mean it's it's, be, it's becoming more and more apparent to me that even rebellion requires the context of accepting and acknowledging the thing that you're rebelling against. Yeah. So what if you just say, I'm not even going to pay attention to that shit. Like, I'm you know, not, I did that. I'm not even going to participate. I'm going to, I'm just going to build something else. I know? made a conscious decision a few months ago, not to participate in the conversation that was happening around the Confederate flaggers mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. their big, stupid flag on interstate 95, mm-hmm. because I felt like, I felt like like they had chosen the battle, like they had manipulated it and that it was just going to be a shit show mm-hmm. and that like giving them any any attention, any energy was just playing into their narrative, right. was just feeding their martyrdom complex. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I opt out of this. Like, like, you know, e- even just even just getting angry and posting about posting something about it on Facebook, I'm just playing into their hand. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, you start to, you know, c- because they're very media savvy and, mm-hmm. and they just know that all they have to do is put this thing up and send out a press release and make people angry about mm-hmm. it. And, you know, and, and I have friends who who write for all these publications and they can't not write about it mm-hmm. because they need the clicks on their ads to pay their salaries. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, like that's how it works. And so something like this Confederate flag on 95, that's a lot of clicks. I mean, you know, friends who have websites are like, oh my God, we got more comments on that yeah. article about the Confederate flaggers than anything else. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it, it is, it behooves their bottom line to participate in that conversation. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't, you know, I can't, I can't criticize them for that, but I can make the personal choice right. not to be a part of that conversation. And there's, there are, you know, I, I found an interesting question for myself in the midst of all of that. Instead of like, what, you know, what the fuck? It's more like, no, actually, why do those people who are just people like me, why do they need this? Yeah. What does this symbolize them? They keep saying it's a symbol. What does it symbolize? You know, it, what does it symbolize that the American flag doesn't? And then, and I actually, you know, I started a dialogue that, you know, on my own Facebook page and yeah. I asked the question and I, the best answer I got was from a guy that just said, you know, the pride we're talking about isn't pride of a particular culture. It's the pride of saying, I can't admit that I lost this yeah. thing, Yeah. you know, and that was a real revelation to me and I got some good out of it, you know, yeah. and was realizing, you know, I got to have compassion for people. The stuff that I really want to rail against is really shit that I do. Yeah. It's oh, my yeah. We we all we all. So it's it's the stuff we hate most is the stuff that we know is buried deep inside mm-hmm. ourselves. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because who doesn't want to completely dominate the game and be <laughs> the only context and like really be the person that it's all laid out for? It's all yeah. designed for. I mean, most of what has been okay, we don't want the old boys networks, we come up with affirmative action. And all of that does is perpetuate the same idea that people get things based on superficial criteria, not 
their skills. Right. You know, so we just go, oh, well, then we're, we're just going to get revenge. It's just going to be get back. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think that, you know, when I look at the Confederate flaggers, um, I mean, I think it's I think it's clear that the demographics of the United States is, is changing. I mean, mm-hmm. isn't it isn't it by like 2020, which is not that far away now, we're going to be a, a, a majority minority country you know what is, but what does that even mean well you know, you know that like, like white at that at that point you know white people will be less than 50 who are white percent. people well exactly and so you know it's been interesting as people talk about the definite definition of white people that you know in the in the beginning of the united states white people were basically like people from england and maybe people from germany but like the the irish for the instance, netherlands right yeah uh, but it's like for instance the irish were not white it's like right. there's white people and then there's the irish right. you know um and that and so the these different even like you know you know italians nope no 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 they right. weren't white it's like there's white people and there's italians mm-hmm. um or you know there's white people and there's jews and and how gradually and and so i think what i've read and i think this is going to be true is that gradually our definition of white is going to change, and Latinos, for example, yeah. And the are, definition are of what? I mean, white. what is it that somebody put this thing up the other day about being somebody telling them that them as a non-Latino celebrating the Day of the Dead was racist, and yeah. it's like, seriously, that's retarded. Like, human culture is the per, anybody can participate in any human culture they want to if it resonates with them. Why is that genetically belong to somebody? Yeah. So yeah. it's just. I think that therefore there is a certain group of people who see who see their quote unquote culture or way of life dying off. Right. And they are very scared, mm-hmm. you know, and um, and, and they are acting well, out. They, I in think these they ways. think they're going to wind up not being able to get what they need right. if that happens. Like right. They're not going to be able to get jobs or they're not going to be able to. You know, nothing, nothing amazes me more. And, you know, I'm from this. I'm from Appalachia. Mm-hmm. I'm from the mountains. mountains there yeah. are a lot of like really poor white people back there. Mm-hmm. And um, there are a lot more poor white people in this country than any other kind of. There are a lot of poor white people in this country. And you know, when Barack Obama runs for president, and you know, they send reporters back into the mountains where I'm from, and they they talk, you know, they talk to this man who's living in this one room trailer on like $11,000 worth of disability every year. And he's all like, rah, 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 Barack Obama. And he's going to do all this stuff for black people. And he's going to blah. And I think to myself, there is nothing that Barack Obama can do for, for poor African Americans that is not going to benefit you as well, right. sir. Right. And, <laughs> and, and that's what, that's why I talk about, you know, the partisanship that divides us in this country. It's, you know, the greatest trick the devil ever played was convincing, you know, poor white people and poor black people that they were on opposite sides of right. something. Right. Um, you know, because they're not, right. um, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, whether, whether it's, it's better college admissions, you know, more open college admission standards or whether it's food stamps or, you know, whether it's, it's Medicare, that that benefits all of these people mm-hmm. equally. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I just. But they're projecting what they would do given right. that given power. Yeah, they would you know, do for their own. They you know. yeah they they feel like it's a it's a zero sum game and it's easier to look at people who are a different color mm-hmm. you know and yeah, and somehow feel that if they get something that that's taking something away from them. I, I think it's really time that we stop acting like phenotypes mean anything. Like, you know, we're, we got some isolated breeding populations going over a few thousand years and people, you know, within a certain margin, people evolved to look a little different from each other based on the yeah. environments and inbreeding, whatever the hell. But we're still the exact same species. We're the same race of being. And, 
you know, rock and roll resonates with people all over the world. Like, well, and, and it does because it's human, you know, it's, and it's not very long till we all fuck each other till we're the same color. Right. You know, I mean, it's, it's right. coming and that makes some people, mostly white people, very upset. It makes black people upset too. And it makes uh, Latino people upset. It makes anyone, cause like the biggest problem other people have is just with other people. Like, White people amongst themselves have a huge problem with other white people. I grew up in Churchill. And they sent me to the West End to go to Marymount uh, Private School. And I had a big problem with the guys that were coming out of Windsor Farms. Yeah. We're the same color. Like, <laughs> you know, but those guys' culture is completely different from mine. Yeah. I'm a city kid. You yeah. know, they're whatever. And these differences are not that simple. Yeah. You know, they're really about who's on my team, who isn't on my team. It's it's hard to overcome that kind of tribalism, yeah. you know? Like mm-hmm. it's it's humans, I guess, you know, we've we've evolved to to hunt and fight and protect one another in groups. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, whether it's a sports team or whether it's your neighborhood, it's that I see that tribalism pop up over and over Expand again. Expand the fucking tribe. Yeah. You know, you know make it a global yeah. tribe. And just <laughs> just to become self aware of it, like like in yourself, you know, as you, cause you know, I mean, I'm guilty of it too, mm-hmm. you know, with like, how do I feel about people who live in Windsor farms? Mm-hmm. Not great. <laughs> um, but so you know what? My mom grew up in Windsor farms yeah. and my grandfather owned a house there and I spent some of my best holidays there and, my, and the family that I was from were not any particular, I mean, they're an, ex- we're an exotic Roman Catholic crazy <laughs> family that were happened to geographically live in a certain neighborhood, yeah. you know, it doesn't really mean anything, but we can, fall into that trap. I prefer, I really dig being culturally omnivorous. I yeah. enjoy the opportunity to speak my Spanglish <laughs> to people at work. I started over again at $8 an hour a few years ago as a laborer, you know, and I've enjoyed all of the people that I've come in contact with because of that. And it's enriched my experience. And <laughs> I don't, I am supposedly, you know, blonde hair, blue eyes, educated, the person that the world is created for. Like right now the game is rigged for me and I was making eight dollars an hour yeah four or five years ago and granted i made a lot of fucking mistakes <laughs> yet there but you know i didn't get any once i got that job i didn't get any special treatment in fact i got treated worse by the other people that were around me but i en- i enjoyed like all of the people that i was crossing paths with and you know to me it's just a big buffet and i you know i wish more people could see it that way it's just, instead of being threatened by it just dig it yeah you know? eat some different food go man to- seriously speaking of i mean <laughs> you know white people what do we eat like potatoes and onions or something you know like can, can we all just, just take mayonnaise. a moment to yeah can we just take a moment to appreciate i mean you know america is the melting pot like literally we mm-hmm. have all this wonderful delicious food from other parts of the world mm-hmm. and, and let's just you know music and and mm-hmm. food and culture and everything america's else. culture has always been the sum of all of its parts yeah. of what's coming in here it has never specifically been any one thing it looked like it for a while because the tv <laughs> was able to make it look that homogenize way. it yeah. yeah but it's never been that way yeah. ever it's never been wasp it's never like the spanish were here the dutch were here the French were here. There were Native Americans here. There were Africans here. There were Chinese here. Everybody's been here since people started coming here. Yeah. And it and this stuff has been crossing. And before that, it was like that in the Roman Empire. Yeah. It was like that all over the goddamn world. So it nothing's changing. Yeah. You know, it's it's the same. It, it is. It is. And and t- I think taking that 
taking that long view of it culturally should should hopefully reaff- reassure folks who are you know clinging to their flag. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Time to let it go. I know you're insecure. It's okay. It is okay. But just you know, let go. <laughs> reach out. Embrace. Yeah. Embrace the. <laughs> embrace all of these things. Nobody's gonna hurt you. Nobody's gonna bite you. And uh, yeah, so. We're coming, we're, gosh, we've, we're coming to the end. I don't even know. You see, you're from Appalachia. You work in IT. Yeah. And where, you've gotten a job. You told me you're leaving. So yeah. You're leaving I'm, us now. We need to fit I'm that. I'm moving up to Columbus, Ohio in about two weeks. Um, and I really, I liked what you said um, in a message earlier that uh, an essential part of living in, of the experience of living in Richmond is leaving Richmond. Yeah. Um, and I, I think I'm, I'm definitely experiencing Is this that. your first time? This is my first time leaving Richmond. Yes. <laughs> Before you moved here, since you moved here from Appalachia, yep. did you come here to go to school? I came here to go to VCU. Yeah. yeah. I've left here three times. I went to New York I went to LA area and I went to the twin cities. Yep. And uh, I keep coming back here with a <laughs> renewed appreciation yeah. for the place. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I certainly, I certainly think I could end up back here again in a few years. I don't, I don't really, I'm not, uh, I'm leaving for a great job and some new opportunities, but I'm certainly not, not leaving because of I'm in a snit mm-hmm. at, at Richmond. Um, Best I, way to leave. Yeah. For positive know. reasons. But leaving, leaving for, for positive reasons and, and bright horizons and hopefully my, my ship will steer me back here soon. Yeah. And, and since we have the internet, we yeah. can still be connected. <laughs> yes. And I'd love to be kept in abreast of what you got going on up there. Do you have any plans to do something kind of, you, you know, know, we're, you know, we're, we're certainly planning to keep Bill Conference going on here in Richmond. I am, I am going to be back from time to time. Um, so I have, I have no idea. I mean, I think that, I think that for me, I, it's, it's like I see that need and then I feel like I have to create that thing that meets the need that I see. So mm-hmm. I don't know what I might see up there in this new place, mm-hmm. you know, what, what I might think needs to exist there. I think it's, you know, Columbus is a, is a different kind of city. It's more Midwestern. I've, I feel like it, it lacks a lot of a lot of the grit and a lot of um you know the sort of urban artistry that richmond has um so i don't know maybe maybe that's what oh, they got to, their own issues yeah oh they do have their rust they, belt yes. right yeah i mean mm-hmm. they've they've got their rust belt thing for sure but columbus feels like a columbus feels like a, a very new city to me mm-hmm. like maybe they've it developed later than Richmond or they tore a lot of their old stuff down. I think they were one of those places doesn't have the old ladies that won't let you tear anything down. Yeah, exactly. You know, every, everything there sort of feels like it was built in the forties or fifties or Mm sixties or whatever. Um, so, so it's just, it's different. It's different that way. Um, but you know, we'll we'll see what we'll see what I what happens to me as you I probably have to that. stand back. Don't go in there shooting from the hip. Just yeah, like the lay of the land, <laughs> yeah. see what's up. But I, I I applaud you for, you know, if you build it, they will come mentality. Like you know, be the thing that you want to see out there in the world. That's yeah. my biggest drive now. I'm I'm tired of screaming and yelling about the shit that's unjust and I'm yeah. psyched to find a kindred spirit in that. And, um, I'm glad we got to meet even though you're leaving. I so, am too. I appreciate you know, it. Stay in touch. Awesome. All right. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, there you have it. Ren Lanier. Au revoir. Bon voyage. Hasta la vista. Baby. Enjoy Columbus, Ohio. Uh, Yeah. I've always found no matter where you go, there you are. And in your case, that's probably a good thing. So maybe you can get some Bill-type stuff happening up there or something even cooler. i got to remember to call Mark Roth and B and let them know that she's coming. They might like her and they can all hang out and be friends. I want to go to Columbus. I used to 
I went through there once to visit some friends, and I always liked the new bomb Turks. It's a cool town. Check it out. Dig it, dig it. Yo. Um, so people, like I said, give me some money and be excellent to each other. Like Bill and Ted always said, be excellent to each other as much as possible. Remember, it's very easy to bitch and bitch and moan about all the things that are wrong. But it is so much more effective to just create the alternative. Get together with people. There are people all over this town doing positive and cool constructive shit. Help them out. Okay? Liberal fucking bitching, liberal angst, liberal outrage is boring. Alright? It's just boring and it's stupid and these, you know, Facebook arguments and all of this other shit doesn't do anybody any good. Take your brains and your fucking liberal arts education and everything and get out there and make something. Create a new society. Fucking counterbalance. Make a yang to the yin of the things that you find deplorable. You know, get it going. Do it. Make it so. All right? Okay. I'll see you out there, kids. Namaste. Na 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 namaste, na namaste, na na namaste, hey hey.